Hello and welcome to the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan, I'm your host. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest joining us all the way from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, David uh, Corticas. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. If not, you can correct me here in a second, David. Uh, but David is an expert and leader in construction coordination and has spent the last decade managing projects in construction as both a project manager and as a business consultant. After starting with general contractors, David recognized the needs of the industry and shifted his focus to begin work with a startup company that built construction coordination software, where he led the BIM services division and helped to develop tools and functionality that improved the workflow and methods used to coordinate and manage projects. He is now passionate about educating the industry and coaching leaders in construction coordination through the use of BIM. Welcome, David. Thank you, Dylan. Yeah, it's, it, it's court of cost, but it's all right. You got it. Thank you for uh, correcting me. So, David, I mean, man, just a powerful, powerful intro, powerful thing that you're doing. And really on the mindset, you know, we met each other through Arte. I feel like I need to say that as well. Absolutely. Uh, and kind of with that, you know, what made you passionate about and why, where did you get your start in construction? Why did you start in construction? And then kind of leading into your passion around BIM and, and coordination. Yeah, no, it was actually, uh, you know, how I got in construction was, was really going back, you know, I've always loved uh, working my hands. Um, you know, growing up, working on stuff, my, my dad, working on cars, you know, was actually kind of the first passion I had. Um, but then, uh, you know, doing some remodel, remodel stuff, my dad always, always kind of tinkering around the house with, with different stuff. And he kind of showed me things. And then, um, you know, with that passion of, of cars, I actually started pursuing uh, engineering uh, out, of, out of school, out of high school. And while I was at uh, school, I was going to go mechanical, electrical engineering, and uh, had a job one summer doing roofing. You know, packing, packing roof, packing shingles, packing paper up on top of roofs, 100 degree temperatures. But I loved it. And uh, the guy I worked for, we did a lot of other side projects for uh, friends of his and other people in the, in the community he lived in. And he, uh, he kind of came from my, my friend and I along and was just like, hey, I can, I can teach you so much. I can teach you how to do this contract and stuff. And, you know, kind of saw between the lines that he wasn't quite uh, selling or couldn't quite offer what he was selling. Uh, but it just, it fueled, uh, it fueled just that thought. You know, I had to really consider construction. And uh, let's say by the end of the summer, I was, uh, I was, I was applied and accepted to Central uh, Washington University for construction management. And uh, that, that part is kind of behind me, you know, as far as that, it was a great experience, learned a lot. And, uh, and then to get into BIM, uh, man, I, I, I took a job down in San Diego with Whiting Turner. Was, was a great uh, spot, got to hang out at the beach. And, uh, but shortly after that, they, uh, they actually sent me out to Vegas for a project. And as a young uh, project engineer, I got out to Vegas on this project. It was about a seven or eight story uh, high rise with a parking garage. Anyways, they, uh, <laughs> they took me alongside and said, hey, we're, we're gonna run this process called BIM, coordination. We need you to run it. We got uh, four weeks before you start. Uh, here's Navisworks. Why don't you go ahead and learn it? And uh, here's some lessons learned. We don't only have an execution plan, but here's the lessons learned. And why don't you, uh, why don't you take it from there? And, and uh, I was up for the challenge and, and, I, and I loved, uh, you know, I've always loved technology. Even took some CAD classes and stuff in high school. And so I've always loved that part 
um, of using technology and, and, and also always having a heart and want to drive to improve the process. Um, even go back to those days working with my dad and, uh, you know, I remember painting a shed one time and I spent more time thinking through how I can do things better and faster than it would have took me just to do it from the start. Um, but I've always had the mindset. I've always wanted to think through it and actually want to make things better. So the take on doing BIM was great. I had a lot of people around me, uh, different trades that had a bit more experience than, than what I did uh, and leaned on that. And there was, there was a lot of grace involved on that project. Let's just say that. Uh, watched me kind of fumble around. And but man, they, they seeing the ability that you can bring people together, uh, design and construction together to actually work through and collaborate before construction actually begin. Um, I already knew, you know, the efficiencies you know, been at that time had been around for, for a little bit of time at least, was really growing in, um, in popularity and uh, really becoming that buzzword, you know, that it really is today or beyond what it is today. Um, but it just, uh, just an opportunity was, was, was fantastic. Um, but the one thing I learned from that also is that, you know, as much as just the software was good, uh, I had a lot to learn in the leadership part of it. And bringing, uh, you know, in that project particular, I had, I had meetings of 15 to 20 people uh, in the meetings, in discussion. And they're looking at me, this, this young guy, to actually lead, lead the models, to know what I was looking for, what I was looking at the model, how to fly through it, how to manage all the information, the communications going on. And there, was a, there was a lot there, and that was where the, that was where the was a little, there was a lot of grace involved with, uh, with, it, with that team, uh, kind of looking back. But, but, yeah, that's kind of where I started. And from there... Uh, it was another year or so before I actually got into uh, the consulting side and working for the company that really took off on doing BIM. Um, spent some, uh, some time as project engineer and project management uh, side of things with general contractors. But, but man, I was, uh, after that project, it just, it just took off. You know, it was, it was, that was a tool that needed to, be, needed to be used on every project. And with that, when, uh, what year or time frame was that for that project in Vegas? That was uh, 2009. Oh, wow. So that was uh, right at the beginning. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I was, I was just out of school <laughs> coming off into that. So, yeah, I was uh, I was young, 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 green project engineer um, talking, to, talking to a lot of guys, my senior, about what needed to happen to make this, thing, make this building work. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and Navisworks at that point was probably, it was probably still its own company. Autodesk hadn't bought it yet. So... That was probably just getting implemented by, you know, I mean, Whittington is a big company, so that's, you know, probably one of the first adopters of it, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely really early. Uh, like I said, it was, BIM was just a buzzword, and it was kind of, hey, here's this package of software. Um, AutoCAD was still used. Revit really wasn't a thing yet. Um, and it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a lot, a lot of just figuring out. I mean, the good thing about Navisworks and all that is, is the software's, you know, software itself is easy to use if you know what you're doing, you know, and how to use it. Um, you know, that's a great thing about it. And that's where, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of companies have, have easily kind of could throw younger guys, you know, figure, hey, you, you know technology, you can, you can use this. And yeah, you can learn the software, but like I said, I was able to, I was able to figure that part out of it. I had no clue on the communication side, documentation, um, and really what it took to manage the entire process. Schedules, um, the files, the workflow, and all the different people involved, what everyone else needed from me to be successful. Um, and just, and like I said, how to bring 15, 20 people together. Uh, and, then, and then also in the models, right? 
uh, to know what I was actually looking at. Was is this an actual issue? Is this clash that Navis is telling me? Is this something we actually need to uh, solve just through Navis? Is this just a viewpoint? Is this just a clash? Or is this a design issue that we need to elevate? How are we going to elevate that? How is that communication going to flow? Um, and it wasn't really till later on where I got introduced to a, to a newer process that really changed my perspective and really helped me really take my, my career and how I do color coordination now to the next level. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point. And especially because, I mean, seven, eight stories, it's a fairly big project <clears throat> to be working on, um, especially doing, you know, coordination through, through everything, especially for your first one. Um, now, with that coordination and maybe, I mean, obviously the processes have evolved over time. At that point, were subcontractors building their own models to put in, or were you as the GC really just pointing out pieces throughout the model, or were people adding content back into it? Were you just pulling the design model at that point? And kind of what's been the evolution, if you will, that you've seen um, you know, towards today? Yeah, you know, then it, it was all trade models. Uh, the good thing about that project is, is we actually had a contractor, a framing contractor that was really, really early adopter, I believe, uh, and I may have this wrong, but it was KHSNS, I think is what it's, uh, their name was. But they were a framing contract, framing drywall. They were really ahead, and, I, and it was really early, even early in Revit, but they were even doing 4D demonstrations back then, um, really early adopters. Having those guys on that project was great uh, from the fact that we had, uh, you know, so we had full architectural covered by the trades. And we also had an MEP framing, uh, fire, um, structural was, was designed, you know, kind of typical from that point. And, uh, and that, that was needed. I mean, it, it's so required. I mean, you can get framing contracts involved and a lot of them aren't, aren't involved in the process and kind of get uh, what's left over, <laughs> unfortunately, all the time. Uh, when it comes to coordination, we just figure framers can work with their magic as they do. Uh, so we let that happen. But uh, some of the extra stuff they the knowledge and experience they, they were able to bring to the table was so valuable. And it just, uh, uh, you know, it really helped me to, to understand all the pieces that need to come together and all the, all the, all the knowledge that we have available uh, if we actually tap into it, right? When you leave guys on the sideline, when you leave framers on the side or leave even engineers not be involved in the coordination process. Um, there's, there's, there's value that's missed when they're not engaged in the communication and in, in the actual coordination process, whether they have a model involved or not, um, especially on the, on the design side, right? And that one there, we had some, we had the designers engaged as well. And that's always been something I've, I've always stuck with uh, throughout my careers is really getting the design team involved um, just because they, they, there's a reason why they designed it that way. And, uh, and we're like a production side where a lot of time you're making assumptions. A lot of time the assumptions are wrong or we're, you know, especially with the RFI process where I would put through, you know, here's a proposed solution based on the assumptions that we have. And, and a lot of time it comes back like, nope, that's not going to work. And here's why. And then we're back to drawing board, right? You, you eliminate that extra waste and, and assumptions made just by getting the guys together and actually uh, utilizing, you know, the collective knowledge of everyone. So that's, that's a big part of what I do now. Yeah. And in that, I mean, I've sat through a lot of coordination meetings over the years and seen them go both good and bad. Um, some have been a, a good use of time and some have been uh, maybe not so much. What's maybe some of the, the really good tips that you can have for um, model coordination to really make effective use of 
the team's time. Granted, there's times where you're waiting for that one thing to pop up, you know, in a meeting, um, and it takes the whole three hours or whatever that meeting might be to get to that one point um, where it's like, oh, that's important um, for me to be here for. But have there, what are some of your keys to running a, an effective coordination meeting with with the team? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it, it comes down to the leader. Um, you know, the one leading the BIM coordination uh, itself and, and being prepared. Uh, I've been I've been in a lot of those meetings. So a lot of what uh, I've done over the years and what we do now is on the modeling side for uh, subcontractors. And so uh, so there's some projects that have come in as, as a sub tier or as a subcontractor uh, in those meetings. So I've been part of those meetings as well, where, uh, you know, some of the guys running them will, um, especially on the construction side, will just not have not have an organization, but rather their group, they're going through clashes in the middle of the meeting and just kind of figure things out as they go, or they have uh, like in Navisworks, you know, having things grouped together so broadly where they, uh, you know, look at things from an elevation point of view and say, hey, you need to fix all these items and not going through actually, you know, what's actually going on. Um, and, and both create a lot of extra work and, and, and headaches really for the guys downstream. So as, as a leader, you know, not only come to the meetings, you got to be prepared, uh, but you're all about, I mean, me, I'm all about servant leadership, right? You got to take care of the guys that you're coordinating with. So on the subcontractor side and, and the design side. So understand time is valuable. Uh, so, you know, meetings, for example, when I come into meetings and, and what I teach guys to do is, is to be prepared with the, the clashes and viewpoints that you're going to fly through and look at. Um, have the clash, clash groupings already organized, your viewpoints set up. So you are literally just flying through saying, and, and, and even, even going a step beyond that and having to propose uh, clash groups, for example, having a proposed solution already in place as far as who's moving. And it gains, you have a lot more understanding of what's, what's there. You also have a, it builds trust with the guys that are involved um, because they, they, you know, they sense that you have their back um, and, and, and you create a collaboration say, Hey, can you move here? The next one, Hey, hey since we moved here, you know, we see that you, know, you can move this couple inches and it just, you, you fly through these a lot quicker. Guys are a lot more engaging. And then uh, the other thing about that is, is when you organize viewpoints and you are doing, if you're doing your due diligence as the bid manager, as the leader of the project, uh, flying, not, not just doing clash, but also doing fly throughs, having visual inspections. Uh, there's a lot more, you know, I, I catch sometimes, in most projects, I catch more from the visual inspections than I do from the clash tests themselves, especially when it comes to design issues and things just, this, the, things just don't look right. So you gotta understand what you're looking at. But when you do that due diligence, you come in, uh, there's a lot more information you can cover in a short amount of time. And then there's certain, certain issues that you know are design issue or design related. And so we always hit those first. Uh, that way, you know, I may have a meeting that's an hour, uh, some projects, larger projects or larger areas we cover. You may have an hour and a half, two hour meeting. You know, the first half an hour, you can flock through all the design issues and cut, and cut those guys loose, right? Um, keeping, keeping consultants and designers in the meeting, you know, that's all ultimately costing the owner uh, more, you know, how they charge their time and, and the fee. Um, so most projects I'll set up. So we, we, so we, we always want to value our time and cut them loose. And then we go through the clash stuff. It's just the construction teams. Um, so sorting those out. There's different ways to do that, different teams. Uh, we've, had, we've had projects that were successful. We have construction one day and design team the next day in two separate meetings. That's, that works well too. But as far as meetings go, I mean, just as a leader, you, you got to be prepared. Um, you got to know what you're going to fly through and, and stuff you're going to hit and, and who you need the information from. 
and just and a lot of guys like I said that I've seen have not been that prepared. Man, is, those are great points, and I don't know. I'm trying to think back of all the coordination meetings I've sat in on. How many have actually been that prepared versus just all right? Hey, we're pulling up the model. Uh, oh wait, well we're gonna go through the first agenda items. I'm gonna run a clash detection here that I had preset, <laughs> and uh, oh wait, we don't need to look at any of these structural. You know, like and they're weeding out the things that always you know hit by like a structural and a wall or a beam and a wall and don't need half of those anyway um you know things like that in navis works where they should have been filtered uh previously so it's uh yeah if, if somebody came in prepared to those meetings and had the list of items and i think part of it too is is really the evolution of this role of bim manager for projects where you have a dedicated you know engineer that's running the model for that entire project and that's kind of their their piece their shtick uh to keep that model in in good working order versus um what we've had in the past is just a project engineer that was doing submittals and rfis and walking the job site uh, you know that was everything for that project basically in the model yep. uh, last thing um and i guess maybe that's one point to to ask is how much of that are you seeing where projects uh, or maybe what's the breaking point for a project to have a dedicated BIM manager for, for that specific project? Is there a square footage break or complexity break that you're seeing to have a, a dedicated BIM manager for a project or to, to have that on site? Or are you seeing that for projects? You know, if and that's a great question. Um, you know, still seeing a lot of, a lot of engineers involved uh, in it, or management takes takes a kind of a, a backseat to it in a way. Um, it, it, if it was up to me, every project manager and project engineer would understand the workflows of BIM, um, because I think the one thing lacking in this and in our industry is is what goes in up front as far as in the contracts, um, organization, discussion with the design team, and, and where BIM is actually going, and how we're going to use like how how we can bring people together and be clear as far as the roles and responsibilities. And a lot of com the companies that do man it and, and, and manage that process well, uh, most of them have a centralized a BIM group uh, and they, they are managing multiple projects at one time. And there's some good and bad with that, right? You get specialized uh, uh, professionals that are leading it, uh, much like you know, myself in, in running you know, on the consulting side. So it's just, I mean, and I kind of approach it the same way. It's almost like you're bringing in a third party. It's just within your own company. Uh, they don't have necessarily the experience on the project. They run multiple jobs. So it's up to them then to dive into that project more in depth. Um, and where, where I've worked with a lot of project managers and engineers and been successful is, is working alongside, really leaning on them to lead the process. And I'm kind of, I kind of become a coach, right? I'm coaching them and leading the process because it's their project, it's their trades, their subs varying the day-to-day -day contact with, with design teams and engineers. Um, so it's really up to them to manage the process and I help guide them along the way. And, and so that's where, you know, you get guys that come in and just, they're all about just the clash, the meeting, they're going to do their part and they're going to go on to the next project and then leave, you know, the team to kind of go through the issues and go through the clashes at that point. Um, you can kind of get that disconnect from the, from the, from the team in that way. Um, so yeah, so I, I wish we had a lot more engineers and managers that were more involved in understanding the process. Uh, but yeah, you are, you know, there's, 
as far as the project size goes, I mean, I really push and I think there's, there's a growing uh, demand and ability to have coordination done on smaller projects, especially TIs. And, and, you know, it looks different on those projects and there's been a lot of, I've done successful projects. We've just done that in 2D. Um, but again, it's not necessarily bringing in a, a BIM group or BIM manager into that uh, to manage that whole process. But the manager or the project engineer has got to understand still, and there's a lot of, you got the same files, you got the same, a lot of the same processes there. Um, like for like, for example, when I, I stepped back in as a project manager a few years ago, uh, before I made a transition to my own company, and I had a project that was, uh, you know, everyone, everyone was in 2D and I knew it was going to be tight. We had a tight ceiling space. So everyone together, it was only a 12,000 square foot building. It was really kind of smaller, smaller building, stick frame. And by bringing everyone in, it was a TI and there was, we knew we were going to have some issues. I just did 2D overlays. I brought all the engineers, all the architect, all the trades in. I did a, overlays and we had 35 issues that we went through and then we figured out and we saved and this is all head of construction if we would have let this go into construction we would have had ceilings that would have been down uh down to seven foot or softest down to seven foot so we saved the ceiling space uh the mechanical had to redistribute uh the upper floor uh air and actually we had to put um furnaces and stuff up, up in the attic space um i mean I mean, there's a big change that came as a result of this, but it really saved that building. What would have been a lot rather design compromises that would have been made or cost and schedule like greatly would have been impacted. Um, and that was just from some simple 2D, you know, 15, 20 year old technology, right? That really everyone should know and, and, and just doesn't utilize. Um, and unfortunately, all those guys, all those companies don't have even AutoCAD available to them. Um, so this is also just education to the, um, you know, to the management level, and hey, these are tools that really pay for themselves one project in that just that just need to be utilized and understood, um, you know, by, by, all, by all managers. So, sure. And with that, I mean, if people were to have, let's say, a dedicated, you know, BIM staff or BIM engineer, project engineer on uh, from the GC side on these projects, especially you get up into like 40, 50, 60,000 square foot projects and up. Um, you know, what do you think that really looks like in savings or, I mean, I know you might not have run the numbers cause that's a, it's a goofy thing to probably look at, but do you think that's a ROI positive, uh, person to have, you know, on a job, if you're adding that type of, you know, you're adding manpower obviously to the project. Um, but what do you think they end up saving, you know, over, uh, let's say a 50,000 square foot building, that's going to be a, you know, six, eight month project um you know so that's you're looking at 40 meetings you know over that time frame one a week um yep. you know what i mean does that person pay for himself uh in that project yeah i mean absolutely the project like that realistically you're only spending uh, a couple months tops in the coordination side of things uh it also depends on where and how much coordination is done on the design side um obviously it's, it's a lot it's cheaper. Uh, you spend less time if you do that process earlier on here in design. Uh, but no, it's just a lot of contracts and, and just how and a lot of fee structures and stuff just aren't set up. You know, and our industry is not used to doing that part, especially on the, on the design side. Uh, but when you bring a guy on like that, um, you know, I'm on a project right now that, that's currently similar size um, that we're, we're involved in, and and it's a two month coordination process, and actually actually less than that. You know, Four to six weeks, and that's with some design stuff we're walking through. 
the time spent on that is going to save uh, you know days. I mean, I haven't really ran the full numbers, but it's it's days off the schedule. You got. I mean, if you don't run it, you are um, you know you need a lot more field coordination. That's going to slow things down. The cost of RFIs. I mean, you look at RFI studies. Uh, standard RFI on a project, large and small, ranges from fifteen hundred to twenty-five hundred dollars per RFI cost to the project as a whole. So, from the owner standpoint, when I work, you know, work with a lot of owners, they they understand, they see those numbers, um, and it greatly impacts the overall cost. Uh, to cut to a GC themselves, yeah, absolutely, their, their schedule is going to be impacted. Uh, the amount of time they got to spend on RFIs. Um, when you when you really look at doing open coordination, not just on the communication side. Uh, but then on the on using BIM as well, I mean I've had projects where I've completely cut out admin uh, um, from processing RFIs. I mean so that's a you know that's a big savings right there. Um, you know, like I said, schedule schedule impacts really the big one because uh, I mean unfortunately there's still an old school mindset in our industry and guys just rely on change orders to to kind of make money or, or help with their budgets, uh, which is a, hopefully a, a mindset that we're really seeing leaving the industry. But it's still there. Uh, there's still guys when you say, "Yeah, we're going to cut back on our change order and cut back on our flies." Um, one, they they kind of don't believe it still, and two, they they there's still some pushback um, actually, uh, which which still surprises me. Um, you know, but but they they're they're leaning on those change orders to help them you know make up costs that they had in their bid or, or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it definitely saves save money for sure. Yeah, those bring up uh, some pretty big points with. Both, you know, saving money, cutting admin, uh, saving days and uh, weeks to the schedule. That's a huge, huge piece where maybe we don't always think about it, but for the owner, you know, what does that ultimately mean for them? It, it means financing, right? The carry costs that they have for that building or financing out anything else. You know, if they're not able to open, that means they're not generating revenue for, you know, weeks or months, um, you know, until that, that building opens. So that's, it's always a thing that I think about with schedule is kind of the, the owner's cash flow, right? Not just for the GC and for a lot of projects, it's not always a one-off project with that owner, right? You're typically working for a developer um, and then there's going to be a tenant of course, but you know, if you're doing hospital work, we all know hospitals never stop building, yes. uh, whether it's a TI or a new yeah. building. <laughs> That's a that's a recurring client and, and most developers they're not they're not looking to do just one project, they're looking to do multiples. Um, so if you can save them schedule, that's gonna benefit ultimately you in the long run to continue to win those projects because they want to work with you on the next ones. Um, that's kind of how I, I want to think about those types of projects. Yeah, I mean it definitely it just provides one a better quality product, you know, that the the design and construction teams deliver to the owner. Because uh, how many times uh, we get into construction or get in and uh, we got to add a software to drop a ceiling down that you know goes against what the original design was just because we have to make sure that things fit. Um, and and then yeah, you talk schedule side and and you know we, we do a lot of buzz, you know predictability in construction. Um, how else are you going to do that unless you know utilizing a tool that we have uh, to make sure that things can be built the way it is designed. And like I said, even even going smaller, here, here's an example of a smaller project, uh, TI, that uh, uh, is actually at, at a, you mentioned hospitals. TI in a hospital, like a 5,000, 8,000 square foot TI, 
And the mechanic contractor had two guys doing layout for two weeks, just off the existing conditions. And that cost there, we could have done uh, the coordination just in 2D. And we, even if it was in 2D, you guys aren't going to prefab. If you had prefabbing to it and, the, and your trades are actually, allowed, you know, you're seeing the, the savings of them doing that prefab. So you know there's savings there. Um, but even if they're not doing prefab and it's just on the layout side, uh, these two guys doing layout, that cost could have been put, put the entire job to do, to do a scan to do the overlay, to verify what's there. And we could have saved some ceiling space and made sure that we can actually route into some of these ORs and stuff that, that they were, you know, called me on and they were having some issues with. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's a small TI, right? So savings in the, even the TIs, but again, it's, it's understanding the tools we have and how to use them. So that's, that's, that's right. And you know, coming to project management side and seeing other guys that are, you know, banging their heads on the wall, six o'clock at night, they want to go home and be with family and they're having to put through you know, five RFIs because the fires that came up that day on all items that could have been resolved with just even a simple 2D coordination or with BIM on their project or, or even better if, if, if there's some type of coordination that's done during design phases um, of the project. Sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, the hospital thing, I've worked on a number of hospital jobs and uh, the biggest one is always the doctors. So if you can make them happy, <laughs> yeah. so many more people are happy on those projects. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that, so you brought up design a number of times and the coordination side of things there. Um, I've talked a lot on here about contracts and how really those contracts are structured. You know, so most design firms really, so the architect holds a contract um, and then, you know, MEP firms, structural, civil, or subs, unless it's a all in-house uh, firm. So it's one AIA contract to kind of guide everything. Which then, uh, within that, it's the design teams that have been beat down on fee for years on, you know, what they're going to do and deliver, you know, BIM. So that transition for a while was a premium. Now it's, you know, standard operating procedure for them. Uh, but then, like, coordination has always been in the side of the trades. But now it's getting pushed so much back onto uh, really the design team, yet it's historically never been in their contracts to do, uh, you know, super detailed coordination. Um, and then, you know, what's actually modeled in those documents versus, you know, 2D documents have always been what the, the norm is for projects. So what's your take on, uh, you know, that, that side of things? Sorry. We're working from home. Yeah. It's a coronavirus. Yep, yep, yep. No, it's, it's it comes to the territory these days. Um, <laughs> no, that, that's, a, that's a good question. And that's something I, I, I've been preaching this for years. Um, you know, in this kind of thing, especially with, with some of the owners, owners I've worked with in the past and, and the owners that, that get it, it's amazing. So the, uh, you know, the fees have definitely been cut down design team. They, they don't want to, um, you know, a lot of them, you, know, you come into BIM coordination, you come to work with a contractor and I've had, I've had projects where they're sitting on the side and saying, Hey, it's not in our CA, but we're, you know, it's just, it's, we're responsible for making sure you guys are, are doing this correctly. Uh, so we're just here for the kickoff for that. And in that case, you know, they're just BIM coordination process. Uh, I've, I've multiple times said, okay, that's fine. Let me show you how, how we do coordination. Cause I, I do a, a process that I call and, and, and teach on a call the integrated project collaboration or 
It was just in the BIM phase, integrated BIM collaboration uh, or coordination. And basically some of the principles that we have from, uh, from IPD, integrated project delivery, uh, where we have more of, a, more of an open, shared, uh, collaborative environment. And there's some software tools that we, we have nowadays that really allows that to happen. Um, that was something that uh, I already learned from uh, one of the positions I had and worked for a software company. That's, that's what we did from the software side. Um, so really opened that up. So having those design teams in those, in those meetings saying, okay, we, we can do things the standard way, and I can send you dozens of RFIs, and we know it's going to cost you, it's going to take this much time. Or you can partake in this, and, and here's how we resolve things through integrated collaboration. And I've never had a design team, actually, I've never had a design team sit out. There's only, I, I kind of laugh at it because I've had one time, but that, that was a design team that never really wanted to partake in any of it from the get-go. Um, and that was a project that, that couldn't, be, um, couldn't be built. That's a separate story. But, the, uh, but they, always, they always end up partaking because they see the benefits in, in their time because, I mean, we can sit back and just, you know, do the standard RFIs, do the standard process, and have all these meetings, and they know what that looks like. Or if we have the open communication and, and open coordination, um, it, it creates savings on the design team. And the best projects I've had, the design teams actually take uh, really take that ownership and want to be a part of it because they, I mean, and they get the savings from that. It takes them less time to actually partake in the meeting and, and be a part of it. But as far as the contract side goes, you know, the uh, AIA has done a really good job on their BIM docs, and I don't think they're utilized enough. Um, I use a lot in my kind of project collaboration plan that I, that I put together, especially when I work with owners. Um, it builds not only clarity as far as what the handoffs are going to be and what the model development uh, is going to be on a project, but also helps bring protections. And a lot of times, you know, design teams, they don't want you to sign off on the model because they don't want any, you know, they don't want you going off. Let's go is a good example. They don't want you going off and ordering your lights off their, their objects they have in the models, and, and rightfully so. Um, so there's a level of liability there. But to say uh, that, hey, we, we at least want things to be accurately uh, in geometry, right? Geometrically accurate as far as size, space, orientation, where that light's going to be, and, uh, and, the, and, the, and the size of it, right? Um, and, we, and, and then really in that side, we get down, is it going to have clearance zones or not? Most of the time you're not. Um, during, during design phase, when we start talking about that, there's a lot of hesitant to... Uh, at least on the design side, to want to get too engaged because it can easily go down the road of adding a lot more modeling on their side. Most of them, to be successful, you don't need that from them. I mean, architects, I mean, to say that, hey, we at least need walls located where they're going to be, um, you know, and, and in, in, in a size, right? And Revit does that for you. Um, you know, we don't want to say you need full height walls, be full height. I mean, we need to know what they are. And, and we can, you know, you can write that kind of stuff into the program that allows for that kind of flexibility, right? As long as we have walls in the right spot, ceilings at the right elevation, and the right overall thickness, um, lights and, and, and equipment the same way. Um, and at least, I mean, from my, from my standpoint, and, and at least from the construction side, is to at least verify that the design works as it is designed. Um, that you guys can go build them. And the worst thing, and, and I've seen it, and it's an ugly uh, situation when it happens, but uh, when a project can't be built the way it was designed. And that's, I mean, we're so used to that. We're so used to adding the soffits and changing walls and changing them. There's a lot of changes throughout. And the change is going to happen. And that's, that's part of the, of the process. That's part of construction. Um, but there's a lot that we can alleviate. There's a lot that we can reduce. Um, when we 
um, at least clearly define up front what the design team is going to produce. And, uh, and so the, the contractor can plan for that accordingly. Um, right now we get, you know, we still get models with ductwork run through steel um, or, or electrical that just doesn't have equipment that's even close to the size of what that equipment actually is. Um, and same with you know, mechanical and plumbing side as well. Plumbing, a lot of times missing insulation and um, <clears throat> you got pipes running through ductwork. And there's just, it's kind of just a lot. I mean, it, it's right now deliverable is uh, paper drawings, you know, 2D uh, spec drawings. And the model is just kind of off to the side. And yet BIM is so critical in what we do. Uh, so central to uh, building the, the building itself um, that the successful projects I've had and, and been on and, and this usually comes when you know, working with the owners is, uh, is when we actually define the model as a deliverable. Now paper and the documents and specs are still one of the deliverable. Model becomes a deliverable, not the deliverable. Because uh, one thing about models is it only tells you, you know, unless you have that full detail that the contractor is going to produce, um, there's still extra details and plans and stuff that you need to then supplement the model. Um, but we always, we always say that, you know, truth is in the model, truth is in, in, in ultimately in, in the cloud and what we're all working from. But the, the model needs to be the central piece. Um, and, and like I said, with, with using AIA documents, we can separate out uh, and make clear as far as what each, each element is going to be um, required and how that's gonna look you know, from design all the way to construction. Um, and it really helps a lot in different style of contracts as well, design build or design assist, you know, the handoff mechanical designer to, to contractor might be a little early in the process. Um, you know, one of the most successful projects I've had, actually we had steel and uh, prefab um, concrete structure, double T's, I mean, everything in that building structure-wise was, was prefab. And that was all released before uh, major subcontracts were even on board. And we fully coordinated. So we had the design team working in, and we we're running coordinate, running actual design coordination, design teams, uh, architect. I mean, their process was the same. Uh, mechanical, electrical, and uh, plumbing engineers. Uh, they were actually 2D on that project. So I actually helped because we, we uh, in my group, took, uh, took on the coordinate on the modeling side and actually produced those models for them. Uh, we knew the specifications, so we put in fabrication content. So that project, we handed that project over uh, at 100% CDs. We had a fully coordinated LOD 300 model with LOD 400 elements in it. And we handed a mechanical contractor uh, a, a fabrication ready model. They were literally off to fabrication within a few weeks. Um, now you don't always get that because the you know fabrication content in engineer models, and, and nor nor should you expect that. Um, but at least there should at least be some verification that what is designed actually fits. I would call the design design validation, and that's kind of what BIM process is in some way. Uh, there's some improvement, but it's at least we need to at least validate that the design works. And the owner's perspective, I mean, they're that's uh, kind of what they're buying, right? When they're when they're sold on, on doing BIM, uh, they I mean, they're they're sold at least in the industry that BIM is a tool that. Uh, produces efficiency and verifies things actually work and, and it can be can be built and a lot of time I mean we're if we just have design documents and, and paper being the, uh, the deliverable the model really ends up being just a 3d drafting tool and that's really what's in the being on, on the science side um, so there's a, there's there's some things you know it's, it's some simple things up front that can be done um, but it takes you know it, it takes having the plan in place to really do that
Um, and there's been products that, that have been really successful with that. And, and again, it's just, it's, it's, uh, just something that needs to be educated, you know, with, with the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I agree with so much of that and really from the, the design side, we've really worked hard to make that happen. I think in most of the projects, at least that I've been on where we try to, you know, model those pieces out to, to get it in. But at the same time, I know that so many engineers, um, across the board, either they just don't get to it. They've got other projects. Um, but the drawings look good, right? The, yeah. the paper looks right. And, the intent is there, right? Design intent is kind of the, the golden word that so many give us. <laughs> and where I see it is, is on those contracts. And I guess this brings up the other question. Have the projects that you've worked on that have been design, bid, build been more successful than like an IPD or a um, design build project? Yeah, the most... Uh... Successful, I've, I've been a part of it, been more of the design build, design assist side. Um, but the same process that I, you know, at least on, on the, this is where I separate out. There's the communication side and then the modeling side. Uh, we've been talking modeling side, model development. Uh, to really get that workflow efficient, it's got to happen early on in design. Um, so you got to have design assist or, or design build type contract, or at least a, it could be in a plan and spec uh, if, if the owner has the right plan in place. Uh, to then bring some, uh, at least expectations and clarity to what the design team is going to provide. And that can easily then be built into specs as far as this is what we're going to buy. These are the documents that are going to come with it. Um, this is what we're doing. You can do that. And we've, we've had projects, uh, I've been on projects involved in that. But a lot of those, even those uh, have some, some, some type, at least of design assist involved, where uh, mechanical uh, MEP trades are, are involved. Um, Early on, at least, at least during the design development phase, or at least the CD phase of that project, and and at that point, um, a lot of time they're they're actually the ones developing the model uh, versus the, the the engineers, and so that. But again, there's there's early stuff that needs to be, um, especially with Revit and you know, just the capability on the design side, all the calculations, all the all that stuff. That I'm I'm not into right, but it's it's like Revit is so. Uh, robust yet each team only uses about 10% of it now we may use like 80% or 60% of it on a project as a whole uh, there's still a lot of parts of it that aren't used I mean, it's so robust um, but also because of that we get kind of locked into these silos you know we, we know the buzzword we hear a lot uh, but we but we do we, we get so focused on how we use Revit we don't think about how that information or how that model is, is then going to be transferred over to the next person down the line um, and that's and that's where we take, you know, again, integrated coordination and really take a shared uh, model approach, not just in the model workflow, but then the communication side. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of improvement we can do there on the communication side when it comes to coordination. And uh, but that that again, having that shared coordination uh, just allows for for a lot smoother process. Yeah, I. Um Man, like so much of this, I always feel comes down to contracts because the owner holds a contract with the architect and then they hold a contract with the general contractor. And sometimes the GC is brought on board early. Sometimes it's, you know, once the project's bid and then it's, a uh, you know, now we open it up. So kind of in that process, you don't always have the, 
the GC on board early enough to bring on subs and the trades to, to coordinate the rest of the project. Um, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. It really just depends on kind of how that, that owner wants yeah. to proceed for, for the given project or see if they could even build it to, you know, get pricing or that kind of stuff um, early on. And I, I continue to see or believe that more projects will go down the road of um, integrated pricing throughout the whole process, really, you know, instead of getting estimates at uh, maybe SD and then DD and then 75% DD or CD and then 100% CD, um, then a bid so that we can, you know, uh, the VE stuff along the way um, is going to be more integrated and really using that data that you're talking about in Revit to do pricing uh, much, much sooner. I've seen some successful projects do it that way. Um, I believe HOK did it on a few stadiums where they did concrete and steel uh, takeoffs. I don't think the GC ultimately knew what they signed off when they did that, but they did weekly price updates um, mm. that they pulled from the model. But they could do it on, you know, like yardage of concrete, uh, you know, tonnage of steel for, for a stadium, which, um, as you can imagine, is pretty massive. Um, so, but just so they can have like an order of magnitude, are we, we had our $300 million budget or are we, you know, we had 400 today or where do we fall so we can make, you know, adjustments to fall within, within budget. Um, so I see a lot of that coming um, if, if it's not already here in some fashion. Yeah, that, that part's, that, that brings up an interesting point because that part is, uh, is growing. Uh, it's, it's definitely still in larger projects that can justify because, you know, on the, on the standard normal projects out there, average project, uh, the cost to really man that data uh, takes away any ROI from it. Right. Uh, the, the ability to, to man it. And there's, there's some great tools. And, and as I said, Revit is so robust. Um, to manage every element uh, manpower-wise, this doesn't make sense. And there are some great tools out there. I know even like, you know, Assemble's got some ability within there. There's some others. That um, Invicara has developed on, on the East Coast uh, that really allows you to mine the data uh, and, and then and then manage and manipulate the data within Revit from a user interface uh, that makes uh, a lot more intuitive. And that is getting uh, you know so that, that that's bringing the usability of that information uh, out, but there's still the cost point of of one entry in those softwares um, still kind of make it. You know, you got a large project to justify that. And then, the, the, but there still takes a lot of understanding and, and manning that actual data itself. Uh, so that's where even a larger project, you just see the concrete steel side. Sure. Uh, I know I've, I've been in a lot of conversations with different software, project management softwares that um, obviously will market that part of it, right? They want to, you know, yeah, we have 5D, we have 4D. And, but then uh, the realistic, you know, you get the, the, uh, uh, you know, you, you get the, the, the estimator, you know, in, the, in that same meeting, they're like, yeah, can we do this? Can we do, oh, can we get, uh, you know, tile estimated out? And then it's like, you know, the amount of actual information to put, have to put in the model, just flip and measure the thing and get it done, right? Uh, just spend the time on it. So that, I mean, but the good thing is, is, is it, yes, it is coming. And there is, uh, especially now getting into a lot more of the AI and, and machine learning side of things. Um, which is, I mean, just now, I mean, it's obviously been around and it's grown itself. Uh, in my mind, my opinion, we're still 
you know, probably five years, five to 10 years out before that's really, you know, bigger than what it is now uh, to the point where, where, where the average project has seen impacts from it. Um, but it's, it's, it's there. And hopefully it's sooner, right? If, if things can really uh, take off and more expandable process, but all stuff just takes time to develop and really bring downstream. Um, but it's there and it's exciting to be able to have everything based on the model. Um, but right now, I mean, we still struggle just in getting the right stuff in 3D just to coordinate, just to make sure we can build it yeah, um, and be able to communicate around it. Um, so, I mean, I love all the newer technologies out there. Um, but I, again, I, I have such a passion for the people leading it and the people involved in the day-to-day that there is, uh, you know, I, 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 I hate to see the industry skip past, look so far ahead and be excited. And that's what, you know, I kind of see a lot of, a lot of BIM guys, you know, so excited in technology that's coming ahead where we kind of miss the day-to-day right now, taking care of the guys in the field, taking care of, you know, design team, design team really taking care of the contractors and this, this kind of unity that we really, the software we have now allows us to have such a unity and, and closeness in, especially in the communication side uh, that we're really missing out on. Sure. And that brings me probably to one of my, my big questions. Uh, but first, David, where, where can they find you and uh, what do you have coming up? And then we'll get into uh, really some big takeaways that I want to, I want to cover uh, from this episode, but where can they find you? What do you have coming up? Um, yeah. So uh, you can find me on, on LinkedIn at uh, David Kortikos. We'll, uh, you want to spell that for everybody? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's David. It's K-O-R-T-E-K-A-A-S. Or at uh, BIM Synergistics, S-Y-N-E-R-G-I-S-T-I-C-S, BIMSynergistics.com. Also BIM Synergistics on LinkedIn uh, and on Facebook, actually, as well. I got where I was going to. Uh, I'm not really a big Facebook guy, but we, uh, we, we are, are meet people there as well. Um, so yeah, BIMSynergistics.com. And upcoming, uh, we do, uh, so I have, I have a virtual workshop actually coming next Thursday, or this Thursday when this drops. Uh, on a BIM coordination leadership, we cover everything from uh, uh, being prepared for the meetings, uh, setting contracts up from the contractor side, uh, to knowing knowing what your team has from the models that you're getting from the design team, how to set your teams up for success, uh, both on trades and the field, uh, how to really manage those meetings, how to really lead the process. Right, going back to going back to everything I've, I've learned from the that first day as a young project engineer <laughs> working in Vegas. Um, so yeah, and just kind of covering that. So that's an all day, or uh, just shy of an all day, about a six hour, five to six hour uh, workshop there. Uh, I started Thursday at 8.30 a.m. Uh, again, you can find information on that on our website. And, uh, and then there'll, be, there'll be more of those kind of workshops coming. Um, that, is, that is also a virtual workshop. So great for all of us right now is having to work from home and, and stay safe and not having to travel. Uh, so take advantage of that, really elevate uh, you know, career and leadership ability uh, when it comes to them and leading these projects. Awesome. Yeah. So next Thursday, the 26th, that'll be coming out for you guys. Uh, so when you hear this episode, uh, hopefully it's next, uh, it'll be the 24th or the 25th and you can uh, go and sign up to David's workshop to really get a bigger and deeper dive than what we've talked about today. With that, David, and probably this will be one of the, the final questions I have for you. You know, we've talked a lot about communication today, uh, some on contracts, which uh, that, that's maybe a different uh, podcast for some lawyers or for some uh, <laughs> yeah. leadership of firms um, and their, their comfort level in handing over that model. I think it's, it's going to come. It's going to be there. Um, 
it's just a matter of time for people to get comfortable with that and really so that liability is not on the architect um, and kind of shed that skin a little bit, if you will, which, which we pointed out. But the, the big question I have for you, really it's on communication. Um, I've probably covered this on every episode that I've had of people in the construction industry since, man, how just core communication is to, to everything that we do. Um, and that quick communication, the communication up front uh, can save so much time. And that's what we've really talked about today. But what are your kind of big tips for communication in the industry um, and something that can be implemented maybe even today for our listeners? Yeah. So when it comes to communication side, that's, that's where the, uh, you know, the integrated coordination uh, approach really comes in. So I'll tell you a story and then I'll, you know, I'll get into what, what people can do today. But as a project manager at a, at a project that, um, you know, a few projects in a row actually with an owner, owner and architect kind of looked at us and said, hey, do you have a process that we can all communicate them on the same, you know, we're going to be on the same page, same, same system that we can communicate openly. We don't have to uh, use RFIs or spreadsheets or just the standard way of doing things or, or emails, attachments, you know, do you have something? I said, I said yes, I do. Um, let's use the system. It's uh, we base everything off, off issues, but allows basically the, the communication of whoever creates it. We can immediately distribute out the communication to everyone involved or who needs to be involved in that uh, conversation, similar to an email <coughs> in that approach. But then any person can comment back on it at any time. They get it on their phone. They get it on, you know, soon they get a notification of it, and and it tracks it all in one system. Uh, eliminates the linear approach we have to emails and where people get dropped off and you got email chains, you got to constantly go back on, track everything. So guys end up using spreadsheets or, you know, then they're just, just everything, right? And we, we all, we all want to stay away from RFIs. Uh, RFIs, I think is the biggest kind of broken piece that we have in our, in our industry, but that's a whole separate conversation we're getting to now is that can, uh, uh, that can definitely trigger some people. So, uh, but, the, but on this project here, I said, yes, let, let's go to implement this system. Uh, we'll still have RFIs, but this will cut out a lot of the RFIs. And, and why I share this is, is an example of, of how this works is as a project manager, you know, so much the communication would come through me, right? Trade would send an email, or I get a phone call from them, or my, my superintendent would give me a call. And then I would have to jump on this and, and, and send an email to the engineer architect, you know, kind of pre-coordinate before the RFI sent through, it's kind of standard today. Or have the you know have a phone conversation and document it in email or document an RFI. I had a lot of time having to spend on that, um, and and it waited on me right. So if they had an issue during a meeting, I had to get back to them. I have to drop everything else and then jump on it. So a lot of the evenings, you know, time spent in the evenings would come uh, having to catch up on all those things that happened during the day because of those. So on this project here with this type of system in place, we had um, you know as an example we had a lot of uh, civil. Uh, issues that were coming up, unforeseen conditions that we knew were going to ha happen, uh, but we but we were having a lot of them. And I had one instance where uh, the they came across a, a pipe that wasn't where it was supposed to be or, or was in the wrong location. It was going to require a shut off from the from the facility. Uh, they're going to do a reroute. Uh, the water main coming in. Anyway, so they they create the issue. It immediately goes out to the architect, civil engineer, mechanical engineer, structural engineer to impact the footing. Uh, myself and my superintendent, which they're obviously in the, in the field with my superintendent already, 
but he's, you know, they got an iPad, so they're able to create it right away. And they get it out, sent out to everyone. And uh, within the hour, I'm, I'm in a meeting while this is going on. By the time I'm done with this meeting, the civil engineers come back with what his, his proposed solution should be. Architect is his thumbs up. It's, it's not really impacting his stuff, but he's just overseeing it all. Uh, structural engineer give his, his two cents on what they need to do on the footing side. Uh, mechanical engineer didn't really have too much because it didn't impact inside the building, so he was fine. And then I get out of the meeting, everyone's commented, even the owner who was engaged on this one, even they got on their horn, got their facilities in line to do the shutoff. That, I think that day or the following morning, uh, this is like two o'clock in the afternoon, I get out of my meeting and all this is already done, resolved, they got a plan in place and they didn't have to rely on me at all. I get out of the meeting as a product manager, I say, yes, I, I basically, I approve, send me the change order. My guy within the hour sent me the change order. I had that through as far as what it was going to cost for the, for the change. And we had it documented and we're all happy off and running. Project wasn't delayed. Shut up happened next morning. I mean, that, that type, that same situation in a standard R5 process or how we do things, that would have ended up me getting out of the meeting, three o'clock, scrambling, making phone calls, doing all those calls, probably set up a meeting later that day or the next morning have the show up later the next day or the following day. I mean, would have, I mean there's some time, hours that would have gone by. For one, me seeing it, because that, that would have been mixed. I mean, it was just an email that would have mixed in with dozens of emails I would have gotten during that meeting. Um, or a phone call that I would have had I got back to if, you know, if I'm good about getting back on phone calls, which I'm not always. Um, so it was just that time statement. And seeing that, you know, I, I, I've been a part of a lot of those projects as a BIM consultant and, and working with owners, even as, uh, even just as a consultant, not running BIM, but, but kind of manning the, the, the digital data side for the owner. So I've seen those happen from that perspective, but to see it and experience as a project manager, it was just, it was really an eye-opening moment of this is what needs to happen. And it's really what drove me and, and kind of gave me the passion to, to get out and start my own, my own business and do what I do now um, on, the, on the education side. So um, as far as things to do now, there are some tools in place um, that are growing. And uh, I mean, <laughs> I just I kind of hesitate because right now they're, they're they're BIM tools, but there's some communication aspects um, that you can build within how you do coordination and how you do uh, management. Uh, I would say the best thing: reach out to me. I'm willing really to have just conversations about this type of stuff uh, as far as what tools. Because uh, when it comes to software side, a lot of guys, a lot of companies have invested a lot of money in different softwares, and uh, some of them work some of them don't work at all and some of the bigger ones don't work in this way yeah they advertise it so there's definitely a certain type of uh, software needed to really have this open communication um, uh, that's there but the tools that are allowed like like one one i use in particular right now on the bin side and it can be utilized on the project side is bin track uh that's that's a great low entry point to that uh bin 360 also allows some of that as well um like some of the others out there are kind of leading that way and hopefully they grow in that um, but there, there are definitely tools available and, and there, and the cost point ROI is there immediately in the first, you know, first month of the project, um, it's definitely there and what it cuts out. So, uh, but again, it takes, it takes some shifting in understanding what the process is. So again, that's another, uh, another workshop that I'm uh, teaching on that should be next, next month. It'll be integrated project collaborate coordination. I haven't set a date yet on that. So but look out for that again, uh, keep it on, on, on me and LinkedIn and my website. And uh, yeah, we'll help you guys along. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I know software changes so often that, uh, you know, they could come out with a new feature and it work or uh, yep. an update or it, it not. And then 
I mean, really in that software only works if you know how to use it. Um, so that's where training and these kind of onboarding uh, classes really work well, um, whether that's with David or whomever you might have to kind of teach that through through for you, whether you throw a, a green engineer onto that and uh, have them dive headlong. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and just second that, I mean, the, there's great training on the software itself, but that is, uh, you know, there, there's, there's the actual aspect as far as the actual leadership itself. Sure. So maybe companies spend millions of dollars on software and, and software uh, training itself, and then uh, totally miss out on spending money on the most important part, which is the leader of actually managing the process well that's where that's where we're coming in <laughs> so yeah yeah the leader and to actually use it right because yes. they'll have a lot of software that just sits there um where if they were actually using it uh they actually see a return on investment so that uh that use of it uh helps so much and you know a lot of that does come from leadership anything else you'd like to add david or did do you think we covered the full gamut here today uh, I, I, I think we covered it. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I appreciate having you on the show. I know, uh, yeah, it's been, been wonderful. I can, I can talk about the stuff for hours. It's, it's like I said, definitely became a passion of mine. And I just, I just have such a heart to help, like I said, fellow project managers. And, and I, and I know we talk about design teams. I, I, I never want to bash design teams at all. I, I love design teams. Design teams set the tone of coordination on a project. So they're actually, I mean, I, I, if you were on the design team, uh, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Um, I, I absolutely love some of my, my greatest, you know, the greatest projects come when the design teams are actually uh, engaged and, and want to see the process be successful. And, um, and yeah, so I know those in both construction and just construction as a whole, there's a lot of old school mentality methods that are on their way out. Um, as, uh, as a lot of us who have grown up with technology are, are stepping more machiner levels that uh, you're definitely seeing that shift and, and you're seeing it both in, um, the tools that we also have available to us now, but also the investments that you're seeing a lot of, you know, that fast paced development software, it's going to get in only faster. Uh, the tools that are, that are available are only going to grow and get, and get better. And uh, so the, the importance of understanding how to utilize those tools is going to get even more important uh, as these new tools come out. So, yeah, so I appreciate it. Yeah, man, that's what, uh, that's what we're aiming to do is to help, uh, help speed that process so you can have those conversations sooner. So, that's, uh, that's our side of things. But David, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, look out for his uh, courses and trainings. That'll help you both on becoming a better leader, being able to communicate a little more effectively, um, and really he'll break down all those, those details we covered quite a bit today. So David, thanks for coming on the Constructor Corner Podcast. And guys, until next time.